Um, we are in week six of the retro soul. And so today we're going to look at and, and dive into the idea that the narrative that you listen to, the narrative that speaks over your life, the voice that tells you the narrative of your life, that narrative will influence the narrative of your choices. And the narrative of your choices will become the narrative of your life. So, so here's what it means. The story you're listening to, you will make decisions and actions based on that story. And you will begin to create your own narrative of choices. And if, when you look back, the narrative of your choices will become the narrative of your life. So what that means is the narrative that you listen to becomes extremely important because it will shape everything. And so the narrative and this idea of a narrative being important, um, in my world, I was sitting at home the other day and my five-year-old comes running in. She's like, dad, 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 dad. And I'm like, what, 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 what? And she's like, she's like, Bailey is a unicorn, not a witch. I was like, man, those do not look similar, but that's good to know. That's good to know that she's a unicorn, right? So, so 10 seconds later, all of a sudden, Bailey comes ripping through the room and she's wearing like this pink hooded. It's got a point on the top. It's like this long, it's pink because it's my house, right? So it's, it's long and, and she comes running in. She comes all the way across, turns around and goes, and I'll look at her and I go, unicorn. She's like, how'd you know? I'm like, well, you look like a witch, but you're a unicorn. Um, so, but here's the idea. Had I not got the narrative, I wouldn't have understood what was going on, right? Uh, there's, a, there's a small soccer tournament going on right now called the World Cup. I don't know if you, uh, if you follow it at all, but uh, all three of you in the room, that's good. Um, I know America didn't make it and you checked out. I get it. Um, but uh, my home country, England, right, every World Cup, every World Cup, they get our hopes up and they destroy them. This has been happening my entire life. You don't believe me? When I was 15 was the last time we made it to the semifinals, right? It's been a lifetime journey getting here, right? The last time they won it, my parents were getting married. So it has been a lifetime journey of what's going on. But here's how it begins, right? They always start with, we're going to do so well this time. And they never do. And so this year, the narrative was, don't expect anything from them. They're young. Nothing's going to happen. Wouldn't you know it? They're in the semifinals on Wednesday, right? We're believing for the finals, people. Believing for the finals. Um, but, but here's how it works. The narrative that was told determined the actions that happened. Because normally, England fans are known for how they travel. They're known for packing out stadiums. This World Cup, it didn't start that way. Very few people traveled. And it wasn't until they made it to the quarterfinals that people were like, oh, man, they might actually do something and started showing up. Why? Because the narrative that they were given determined the actions that they took. In your world, somebody's spoken a narrative over your life. And it may have come in your younger years and you're going like, I'm still young. OK, that's cool. You can you can be young. But the reality is that somebody somewhere spoke words. over. Here, here's what I mean, right? That you might have been called the black sheep of your family. And, the, and the, the reality that you're the black sheep, you've been chasing ever since. You've been fighting ever since. You're trying to prove that you're not that person. So somebody spoke a narrative here that became your actions here. And now the narrative of your life is you're still running from something that somebody told you over here. I'm reading a book right now by a lady named Annie Downs. It doesn't really mean anything to you. But um, in her book, 
She, she takes you back to a moment when she was a, a young lady um, sitting on her couch downstairs with her friends, and she'd done a performance at school like six months before that had been captured, and they were going to watch the videotape, that tells you how old this is, the videotape of, of what had happened. And in the midst of watching it, someone in the room made a comment. They said, oh, you look different back then. You've changed a lot. In her interpretation, she took that as, I'm now fat because I put on weight and you think I'm ugly. That she is still running from to this day. That in her head, the narrative she heard is you don't like who I am now, you like me better then. And so she's been chasing ever since through eating disorders and all kinds of stuff, trying to change the narrative that was spoken over her. The narrative that's spoken over you will determine what you look like. Some of you are still trying to prove yourself to a voice that, that told you you would never amount to anything and you're still trying to prove it. Somebody told you you're not the smartest um, person in the room and, and you've been trying to prove to them ever since that you're not because what you heard was I'm dumb. And so you're still trying to prove it. And, and so here's, here's where we're going today. We're going to look at a story. We're going to look at a narrative and we're going to try and reframe the narrative that God speaks over your life. Because there are way too many voices that have spoken way too many lies into the narrative that we believe and we just take on. And, and church, we have some work to do to go, I'm not going to let the narrative of my life be determined by lies. So if you would, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. First book of the Bible, third chapter in. So Genesis 3. Um, the context is this. God's created everything. The world is perfect. He puts humans on it and he tells them one thing. He goes, don't eat the tree. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. Don't eat the tree. Don't definitely don't eat the tree, but don't eat the fruit either. So, um, because when you do, you will surely die. Right. So, but then another voice enters in Genesis three, another voice, the enemy's voice enters the narrative. So at this point, the only voice they've had in the narrative is God's. God has shaped their narrative. He's told them it's very good. And now the enemy's voice steps in and the enemy begins to tell them stuff that's different. And it, when the narrative, when the narrative that you're listening to will determine the actions that come out, notice verse six. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, the, the tree that she was told not to eat was good for food, and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, let's just stop there. What did God told her? When you eat of that tree, you're going to die. That's bad. Agreed? Death is bad. Okay. So in this context, something happened. Another voice spoke into the narrative. And now what she believes is different from the narrative that God gave her. She's now stepping into a reality and her actions are based on a narrative that, that she's now perceiving to be true. And so she says, pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Okay, men in the room, when your wife cooks, you eat it. It's good wisdom from Genesis. Next verse. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So, so what happens is the narrative that's spoken over them is from the enemy and it's lies. And as the narrative is spoken over them, they buy into the lies and they begin to act upon it and they take the fruit and they eat it. The only problem is what they were promised doesn't come true. 
Can we just set a, can we just put something down today as we're building this foundation of what narrative that anytime you listen to any voice other than the voice of God, and anytime that voice doesn't match up with the voice of God, you are going to be left disappointed with the narrative of your life. That if you listen to any other voice, if your inner voice, if your soul listens to any other voice other than the voice of God, you are going to find that the outcome was always less than what you expected. That the narrative God speaks over you is the one that always fulfills. And in this case, what they end up with is they go, so now they're sewing fig leaves together. Why? Because they are what? Ashamed. You know, it's funny. They were naked the whole time. It's only in this moment that they're now going when the, the narrative of choice, the narrative that they've been given and the choices they make. Now they go, yeah, it didn't add up. It didn't become what they said it would become. Next verse. The man and his wife heard, so, so, so context, they've just made a monumental choice that has destroyed everything that God has created. It's no longer very good. It's no longer perfect. Like there, it's fragmented and fractured. And in that moment now, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So, 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 that, so that what happens is now, They've made the choice. Destruction is there. Brokenness is there. Shame is there. Fear is there. And and essentially from God's perspective, what happens is God has given them this perfect thing and they've taken a sledgehammer and essentially shattered it. And now what happens? If you're God, what do you do? If you're God, he comes walking in the garden and they hear, they hear the sound of God. Okay. Pause for a second. The only way you recognize something through hearing is if you have what? Heard it before. This is speaking to something that was familiar to them. This was a pattern, a rhythm that God had in their life is that God showed up and God would walk in the what? In the garden. He didn't walk in church. They're not in church and God comes walking. They're in everything he's creative is combined. They're at work. They're at play. They're with their family. They're at rest. They're eating. That is all one space for them at this point. And in that space is where God comes walking and they recognize the sound. What they're saying, what we should pick up here is that God was familiar to them. And what that means for us is this. They are at their absolute worst. They have made the biggest mistake. You pick the biggest mistake of your life. They've made it. They're in their worst situation. And what happens? God comes what? Doing what he's always done. He's coming to walk in the garden with them. I'll tell you this morning that I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you carry. I don't know what the narrative is. But I do know this, that almighty God, almighty God, creator God, still comes and walks with you in the midst of it. He shows up and he walks in. And I love, I love what's, what's being said here is they hear it, but then notice walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Okay, that phrase, cool of the day, we have no idea how to translate it, right? So we just say the cool of the day. And another translation says the breezy part of the day, right? Like Caribbean version, breezy, you know? Cool of the day. And, and another one says this, the windy part of the day. So, so let's step back and go, okay, what is, what is the cool of the day? What's the essence of the word? And the essence of the word cool 
is the idea that it is the refreshing part of the day. It's the refreshing part of the day. What does refreshing do to you? It builds you up. It encourages you. It gives you strength. And in that moment, you feel restored. You feel whole. When does God show up? When they're at their worst. But notice the part of the day he shows up in. It is the refreshing part of the day. Do you know that God wants to show up in your world today? He wants to walk with you in the midst of that. And he wants to refresh your soul today. And you may be sitting here going, John, you don't understand. My soul's been dry. I don't care. What God does is in our worst, he shows up and he brings refreshment to dry ground. He brings refreshments to souls that have withered up. He brings refreshments to people that go, but I haven't, I've been running. I don't care if you've been running from God. Notice what they do next. And they hid from the Lord. They go and hide. You might be in hiding today. Guess what? You're found. Because Almighty God just walked into your space and goes, I want to refresh you from the inside. I want to restore you today. That's the narrative that he's speaking over. You know what's crazy? As then they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The, the idea of, of hiding from the Lord God, it, it, the word from is another one we struggle to translate. Because the word from, the essence of that word has to do with faith. What they were avoiding was a face-to-face with the Lord God. They're avoiding his very presence. What they're doing is they're running, going, God, God, you don't understand the shame that I got. You don't under-. And so they're taking off and they're hiding. But what's happening in that moment is, is they're actually trying to avoid being in the very presence of God with their shame. They're trying to hide from him. They're trying to run. You know what's crazy? They've been in the presence of God the whole time naked. And it's only now that they're listening to a different voice speak the narrative of their life that shame has come in and they've gone, God, I can't, I can't do it. When did they lose their trust in the goodness of God? When did they lose their trust that that, that the naked was okay in the presence of the Lord? Shame and fear and anxiety and whatever else you want to put with it has robbed guilt, has robbed that moment, and now they are hiding. Why? Because, Because somewhere along the way, the narrative of who God was changed. Somewhere along, notice the next verse. It catches it in the next one. But the Lord God called to them, called to the man, where are, where, where what? Where are you? You see, what they expected from the Lord, the reason they hid is, is because they're covered in shame and fear. And what they expect from the Lord Almighty is they expect him to show up and do what? Just start ripping out trees, man. Where are you? Right? Or you ever get this image that God has a big old baseball bat, which by the way, that would be a big old baseball bat. And he's just waiting for you. You've been told your whole life that God is just waiting for you to mess up. Because if you mess up, man, he's coming. He loves to punish. There couldn't be anything further than what you find in the Bible about our God. Our God shows up. These are broken people. They have failed. They have, they have, they're in the midst of the, the moment after. You ever have that moment? Where you're in the midst of like, man, you, you did something, you know it was wrong, and you're like, oh, God, just don't show up. And he comes walking in the cool of the day. And notice what he does. He doesn't call a herd of elephants to drive them out of the trees to just, okay, I know you're hiding. I'm going to send the elephants. Followed by the lions, right? Or in this moment, followed by the dinosaurs, right? 
He doesn't send them to flush them out and drive them into his presence. God isn't interesting in cornering you today and driving you into the prayer. He doesn't, he's not that kind of God. He doesn't demand, where are you? Show up. He says, where are you? It's an invitation. It's an invitation. What he's saying is step, step into the light. Where are you? I miss you. Why, why are you running? I'm not demanding. I'm not driving. I'm inviting you to step forward and claim your story. Where are you? He said. I heard you in the garden and I was what? Afraid because somehow the narrative changed of who God was because I was naked. So I hid next verse. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Who told you that you were naked? What God is saying is, which narrative have you allowed a voice to speak into? Whose voice is speaking to you? Whose voice spoke over you? Whose voice convinced you that this was the reality? One of the biggest things I believe we struggle with in Christianity is we have created images of God that are not true. That we have listened to false narratives and we've built up this thing of who God is. And when you get into the Bible, all of a sudden, all those are torn down. And God is looking at you today going, which narrative are you going to listen to? Which voice are you going to let speak into that narrative? Any other voice than the voice of God will always lead you, will always lead you to destruction. There's only one voice that will lead you to wholeness. And in this case, he's going, which voice are you listening to? Who told you that? Where did you hear that? Because that's not the narrative I gave you. And so this morning, here's what I want to do. I have five minutes and four seconds. Here's what we're going to do. I just want to take some scripture verses and I want to tell you your narrative. When you leave here, I want it crystal clear. This is my story. This is my song. Praise my Savior. It's a song, right? Okay. Ephesians chapter 2. But because of his great love for who? Us. God, who is rich in mercy. Because of his great love for us. Let's, let's, let's make it personal, okay? Because of God's great love for you. God loves you immensely. Not with a little love, but with a great love. And because of his great love today for you. What we are about to read, what it, this is true of your narrative, it comes from the fact because of who God is and his great love for us, this is true of you. I've had a song in my head all, well, the last four days, not all week, the last four days, it's on repeat. And, and there's a line in the song that goes, um, is speaking about God being love and the love of God, that love, love is proud to be seen with me. That God is proud to be seen with me. That God today is proud to be seen with you. Why? Because of his great love. It's nothing I did. It's the fact that he loves me so much that he's actually proud to be seen out in public with me. That God is actually proud to call me by name. That God is proud of you today. That he's not up there mad just waiting for you to figure it out. Like he's proud of you today. Why? Because he loves you and his love is proud of you today. 
And he's rich in mercy. The idea behind mercy is this. I love it. The mercy and grace, right? So mercy is the idea that is kind of like in the Adam and Eve um, situation, the first humans, that if mercy didn't exist, we don't exist. Because if mercy doesn't exist, they're gone. He's not looking for them. He's not. He's just done. He's going to wipe them out. But because of his great mercy, he's rich in mercy. Because of his richness and mercy, he walks in the garden and goes, hey, where are you? You know what I love about mercy and grace is this, that it evens the playing field, y'all. It doesn't matter if you're in a room and you're the smartest person in the room or you're in a room and you think you're not the smartest person in the room. It doesn't matter if you're the richest person in the room or you got no money in your bank account. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've been in church forever or you just showed up. It doesn't matter because what mercy does is it levels the playing field. We all need mercy. We all need the grace of God to show up. Next verse. But who is rich in mercy. Remember, he's motivated by love. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, even when we were at our worst, even when we were dead, when we had no life, when all we could do was the opposite of what we should, when you were at your worst is what that means. God showed up and made you alive with Jesus. That when you were at your absolute worst state, God came walking in the cool of the day and he walked alongside you and he picked you up. Why? Because he's rich in mercy. He makes you alive. When he made you alive with Christ, by the way, he placed you in Christ, meaning you can never get out of Christ. Those of you that have said yes to Jesus, those of you that have surrendered, that yes to Jesus means that you are in Christ and you cannot be separated. When did that happen? It happened when you were at your worst. So guess what? Whatever your worst is today, it's not as bad as what that was. And if he did that then, guess what he's going to do now? He's going to pick you up. He's going to refresh your soul. He's going to walk with you. Why? Because you're alive with Christ. It is by grace. You cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. You have been saved. Next verse. And God raised us. God raised you up with Christ and seated you with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. When you surrender to Jesus, you need to know you might be here physically, but your position forever is in the heavenlies. You are in heaven today. That's not up for debate. You're secure today. Well, you're here and you're like, man, I don't feel very heavenly. Can I tell you, you are a heavenly being today. And you're seated. The word seated means that you have victory today. That you are seated. Why? Not because of anything we did. Because of what he did. And he raised us up. God came along and he raised you up. When you doubt who you are, the narrative over your life is you are forever and for eternity. Always his. Next verse. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. You're, you're, you're something that he shows off to show his grace off. You love that? That's why he's proud of you. He can draw alongside you and go, look at my grace. And he looks at me and goes, man, yeah, that's a big screw up. You got a lot of grace. Okay. Expressed in his kindness to us. Expressed in his kindness to you in Christ Jesus. You want to tell somebody what you are? You're an expression of kindness. When somebody goes, who are you? You go, I'm an expression of the kindness of God. Next verse. For it is by grace. It is by grace. You do not deserve it. You have been saved. 
It is through faith. If you're in the room and you have never trusted Jesus, you've never surrendered to Jesus, you don't even know what that means, you come see me after. We'll take all the time we need to for you to understand that. But everything I'm talking about, this new narrative, it comes when you put your faith in Jesus. And when you do that, that none of us deserve... It's a gift. It's not from God. This is not from ourselves. It is a gift of God. Your salvation, by the way, is a gift. Don't neglect the gift. Next verse. Not by works so that no one can boast. Next verse. For we are, don't miss this, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are, you are God's handiwork. That word means masterpiece. Let's, let's paint a different picture with it, right? That you are the very divine artwork of God himself. That you are perfect the way you are. Why? Because God has wired you that way. God has made you that way. Why? Because you are a unique expression of divine artwork from the divine artist. That you today, with all your faults, with all your wrinkles, with all your baggage, with all your, at the cross, it was done away with. It was once and for all removed. And in that moment, it says, now you are the very handiwork. You are handcrafted by God Almighty, church. You know what you do with a piece of artwork? You put it on the wall. And you know what happens when people see a piece of artwork? They see the artist behind it. Because the artist is telling a story. He's telling a narrative in the divine artwork. And what they see is the divine narrative from a divine artist. You are, you are divine artwork. Handcrafted by God himself. And so we're, we're going to end this way. I'm not going to preach anymore. We're going to end with our mouths speaking our narrative. We're going to end with our mouths through song declaring a narrative that we hold on to, that we have a Savior, that we have a God who is worth praising. And so, band, you can come on up. But this morning, we are going to, we're going to stand. If you would stand. And the point behind it is this. I don't know what narrative you came in the room with. I don't know what, what lies that narrative belongs to. I don't know what, what shame you've been holding. I don't know what that looks like. But you need to know that at the cross it was done away with. That you've been created new. You've been made alive. And so as we lean in and we begin to speak and we begin to sing these words, what you're actually declaring over yourself is, this is my narrative. And this is my God. So let's sing together.